Hello, my name is Russell Parsons, the editor of Marketing Week, and welcome to our third Careers Doctor podcast. Our almost monthly slice of inspiration shines light on all things personal and professional development. You'll be glad to know that I don't do this alone. Oh no, each month we gather experts and sometimes go out and about in search of inspiration, advice and edification that will help you become a better marketer, manager, leader and even person. So forget the brouhaha over the general election and sit back, enjoy all you're about to hear. Joining us today, a podcast veteran and friend of Marketing Week. Helen Tupper currently enjoys the magnificent job title of Evangelism Marketing Director at Microsoft. She was previously Head of Marketing at Virgin's group-wide loyalty program Virgin Red, and before that even, Global Head of Customer Experience at BP, a job title that is commonplace nowadays, but was a pretty, uh, pretty much a rarity in those days, I imagine. If holding down a J job at one of the world's biggest companies wasn't enough, she also somehow finds time to run Amazing If, a career development and training business whose clients include Direct Line, Barclays and Virgin, alongside Sainsbury's marketer, Sarah Ellis. Hello, Helen, and welcome back. What does um, an evangelist marketer actually do? <laughs> Russell. Uh, so what me and my team do, um, we take early technology, so things like we're working on blockchain at the moment and Internet of Things and machine learning, and we work with early adopters, so that might be startups, for example, or maybe universities who are training people around the, the technologies, and we create stories about how those technologies are being used, so new businesses that are being created with machine learning or how... Um, blockchain is changing how uh, contracts are used, all kinds of things, just to make the technology more of a reality. And then we use those stories, so we kind of evangelise those stories so that they are more of a reality for the rest of the market. Because a lot of people might hear about these technologies and have no idea how to make them kind of practical or how they're valuable for a business. So my jobs and my team's job is to take the technology, find great stories of how they work in reality and basically market those stories so other people can see where they might fit on their roadmap for their business. I imagine pulpits and flocks and sermons, that's all, uh, when I think <laughs> yeah, of Yeah, all the time. That's exactly what my topic is like. To the subject of our podcast today, well-being. We've just published our latest monthly magazine, which carries the theme of well-being. There's a couple of fantastic pieces in there. We highlight the importance for brands of taking an holistic approach to well-being that embraces both physical and mental health. And we also look at how brands need to evolve their performance management strategies to go beyond pure target setting and encompass a well-being, which in turn will lead to more willing brand advocates. Before we cover some of that today on this podcast, I wanted to talk about mindfulness. It's the subject of hundreds of podcasts, magazines and books. Uh, but incorporating mindfulness at work is less discussed. Helen, you wrote a, a fantastic uh, piece for us earlier this year on this very subject. Mm -hmm. um, before uh, we talk about some of the tips, tricks and learnings that uh, perhaps uh, we, can, uh, we can discuss that today, how, one thing that I found, because mindfulness is something that I, has been recommended to me, I find it very difficult yeah. uh, to focus my thoughts on one thing at a time and yeah. lots of people said you need to be mindful and then I've looked into it and it's almost an added layer of anxiety yeah. for me that there's something I need to train my brain to do um, on top of everything else so how do you become mindful um, how do you incorporate it into your daily life yeah I, th I think 
that they are two different things so the how do you become mindful and how do you fit it into your daily life I think are two different answers so to be truly mindful I think um it's a bit like a muscle so I think you would need to develop a meditation practice you would need to be very self-reflective mm. you would need to make time in your day to both meditate and reflect and then you would be truly mindful that is hard it is hard to it's hard to meditate it's hard to keep your mind focused that's why people do it um so I think the how do you fit it into your day for most people is a different answer it is can I have some quick tricks that will help me to just focus on one thing Mm. how can I just create some boundaries around my busyness so that I can not feel like I'm stretched in lots of different directions I think the answers for that are different to develop a daily meditation practice and your your mindful muscle that's quite hard really really valuable but if I think about what I do the thought of meditating every morning for half an hour while my children are getting up and I've got to do breakfast and I've got to get out of the house and I've got to get my laptop that just stresses me out the thought of it to be honest Mm -hmm. so but what I have learned to do is is to create some kind of mindful habits yeah. um, which make me feel more comfortable um, with the amount of things I've got going on in my life and a bit more reflective about it and not just that I'm on some kind of train going at 100 miles an hour and I can't get off it. So I think for most people, working out some mindful habits is probably more realistic than you know creating a fully mindful, I do yoga every day and spend time reflecting in my journal every day, that kind of thing. Mm. And I mean, um, why is it important um, in the context of work? Um, what what do you believe um, are the outcomes, uh, both for the individual, but also the employer and the brand? Yeah, so there's lots of research on this. So there are some proven outcomes. If you can be more mindful about how you go about your job, you are less stressed, mm. which um, helps in lots of different places with obviously mental health, productivity at work, uh, reduced attrition, there's benefits for the individual and the business of that. Also improved decision making. Mm. So because you are uh, less reactive um, and you can take a bit of space, you can make better decisions the work and you can be happier at work so as an individual lots you know less stress better decision making is happier for the business lots of benefits in terms of more productive employees uh, reduced attrition um, a happier more engaged workforce it's kind of proven benefits so um i want to be more mindful at yes. work and i want to um deliver all those benefits yeah. um and just be a happier individual Perhaps it'll take more time than um, we're, we're, we're allowed today for this podcast. But um, what can I do in my eight, nine hours at work? Yeah. Um, how can I build that in? What, what would you suggest that people do? Yeah, I think one of the best things to do, first of all, is to create yourself some space to think. So what a lot of people do is their diary is just full and they kind of live every day by their diary, if that makes sense. So you get into the office, you look what meetings you're in, you go headfirst into them and you come out somewhere at the end of the day, yeah. pretty tired and on to the next day. Right. Yeah, yeah, most people's days. Um, I think if you can find some time in your day where you are in control of that time and your diary is not in control of you, it can be up to you what you do with that. So for example... I I get to work at 7.30, which is quite early. Not everyone has to do that. But the reason I do that is I have an hour before anyone else is really in the office. I sit in a room on my own and I do one thing for one hour. And I that might be writing a presentation. Sometimes it might be, um, I don't know, listen to a podcast. It can be anything. I just set myself one thing that I really want to do. And I once I've done that, I know that the rest of the day can kind of be a bit of a mess of meetings, to be honest, where I'm just 
on constantly and just sort of reacting what's there but I've done one thing one conscious thing that I wanted to do first thing in the morning so I think if you can create yourself some space in your day other people have habits like um they might only check their email twice a day because email can be a big sort of uh detractor from being mindful yeah and you I mean I used to have a blackberry while ago with that red flashing light I don't know if you ever had one but the red flashing light every time you got an email you'd have a red flashing light and it was awful you'd sit in a meeting and all you could see was that red flashing light and you wanted to check it now I have notifications that will come up but I've turned them off because I either don't take my phone to a meeting now because surely you should be present in that meeting if you can spend half the meeting looking at your emails you probably shouldn't be in the meeting so I think if you can find ways to uh, not get distracted and sometimes you are allowing those distractions into your life particularly things like phones and emails mm. so either don't take your phone to a meeting turn it upside down so you can't see it turn off your notifications so they're not just this conscious this constant thing that's kind of taking you away from the thing that you should be concentrating on mm. um some people have rules i don't have these because they don't work for me they check email twice a day or i have seen when i was at virgin somebody used to have an email um uh, kind of they would set an auto reply so if you emailed them it says I only check my emails in the evening I'll get back to you tomorrow there are different ways but I think the main thing is somehow carve out some space in your day so that you are in control of your diary it's probably mm. pretty unrealistic to do it all day because you just have to accept certain meetings but if you can think what's one thing I want to do today for you mm. you know maybe it's uh, write an article Maybe it is read a, read a particular book or mm. read something that is, you find kind of stimulating. Or maybe it's, I want to just have a conversation with somebody to see where they are and actually listen to them and, and put that time in and, and don't allow other d- distractions to kind of seep into that time. So that's my, my, first, my first thing, create some time, put some boundaries around it. Mm. I mean, it sounds to me as much as anything, um, perhaps it was my misunderstanding or perhaps misappropriation of, of the word mindfulness, that we're talking about just allowing for focus, really. Yeah. Um, in a work context, anyway, um, I, I understand perfectly because I've both been the subject of it but also guilty of it as well when you are sitting opposite somebody and you just start flicking through your phone, yeah. uh, Twitter alerts or email. Um, I mean, that can have a negative effect on, on the way that you are perceived as much as a lack of focus um so it's interesting what you were saying perhaps um i mean email is is a definite curse i think it in a work context i think mindfulness is about consciously thinking about how you're working how you're showing up how you want to show up and how you want to behave and then really understanding what's detracting from from that Mm. whether it's emails meetings certain things and so one thing is you can create some boundaries around time so you can behave in the way that you want to in those meetings I find for me that sets me up really well for the day and I I learn things I can then share with other people and I can be the leader I want to be rather than this slightly harassed very busy version of myself I think another thing to do is to fit some reflection into your day so I think it's a really important part of mindfulness some it's sort of like the practical version of meditation so rather than sitting there and clearing your mind clearing your mind for half an hour which I find quite difficult to do I will just ask myself a couple of questions every day so and I do this I generally do this in bed at night just before I go to sleep that's how I fit this into my day but I ask myself what am I proud of today what that I've done so kind of reflect on what I do well I ask myself what did I enjoy today because it can be quite interesting that they are different things and if there's something you're enjoying, you might want to think about how you can do more of it. I ask myself what I'm grateful for. That is a proven benefit to um, 
to be happier if you can actually have some gratitude and then I ask myself what's one thing I want to achieve tomorrow and those four questions take me about five minutes in my mind to do and sometimes I ask my husband these as well because it's quite interesting to hear what his what his uh, his his day's been like um and they just they kind of round off your day and you think and you also learn a bit about yourself but then you also set yourself up for the next day so they just it's just a really useful way of just reflecting on your day and maybe creating more of the good in your in the following days yeah no no it makes perfect sense I mean I often and I did it yesterday before I left um the office anyway I mean as we both know work doesn't always finish the the, the second you you walk out of the door Uh, but I wrote myself a to-do list which made me feel a bit uh, stronger and more prepared for the day but thinking about it in terms of successes and objectives and goals actually mm-hmm. is a slightly different way of just saying you know get milk yeah email so and so whatever um i'm i'm fascinated i think it's perhaps my uh well not misunderstanding around uh, mindfulness but um certainly thinking it was something that i needed to train myself to do um, because what you were saying about just focusing on one thing reflecting or building time into your day for reflection and preparation um, sounds doable. Um, do you think employers need to do more to allow this to happen? Um, because, you know, in a constantly connected world, you'll know this better than anybody mm-hmm. working for a company like Microsoft, I imagine, we, um, we're we easily distracted. There's, you know, requests coming from all corners. It's difficult sometimes you can manage your own diary to an extent, mm-hmm. but there are external pressures which say that you have to do X number of things in any given day. Yeah. So do you think employers need to be a little bit better in building or allowing or creating a culture which which says you can spend two hours reading to learn mm-hmm. each day or each week? Sorry, not each day. That's probably a bit too much. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, the creating a culture point is the, the important part of that. I think forced mindfulness, uh, so a company kind of saying we want you to, and I've actually been in a very good business that did something similar to this where they had a, uh, uh, a time of the day that they said no emails whatsoever, we want you to go and do something more fulfilling, which was a really, really great intent, but actually people just got a bit frustrated because that wasn't the time they wanted to do that thing. Some people wanted to be on email at that time or be yeah. in a meeting. And so I think the forced mindfulness from a company doesn't work very well. Um, but the cultural point is really important. So I showcasing leaders who are behaving with with a kind of a mindful approach to how they're working and saying this is how our leaders are using mindfulness mm. so you're not celebrating busyness you know it's not a business doesn't put their kind of busy leaders on a pedestal and say that's how we want everybody to be we want them to work from 7 30 yeah. till 10 p.m and be on email constantly i think if an organization can say we value healthy happy employees yeah, and yeah. healthy happy employees look like this yes they're productive and yes they're collaborating in meetings but they're also taking time out for reflection here's some practical ways that you can do that it's not forced but this is what we value in our in our employees Mm. i think if an an organization can encourage that and showcase really great examples of Mm. it people know that they can work in in Mm. that way Mm. um i have someone in my team actually who's doing a mindfulness course at the moment Mm. and i'm getting him into sort of lead some team meetings just to share back Mm. what he's doing because he's personally passionate about it but i would like the rest of my team to just ask him Mm. some questions rather than just me talking about it all Mm. the time it sounds great i i I met somebody recently i'll um uh, that will remain nameless um 
but they worked four days in the office and a fifth day they um, read and wrote mm -hmm. all day um, read to learn for intellectual edification mm -hmm. um, and uh, and wrote um, as part of their job but they didn't come into the office and they didn't check emails all day and uh, I thought that that was the perfect way for them anyway in the context of their role to to focus yeah anyway um interesting what you were saying because I, I think we do tend to or we have begun over time to judge um ourselves by how busy we are yeah. um rather than how much we actually achieve just how much we've been tasked to do yeah. and often i think um much of that is what we give ourselves to do absolutely <laughs> so and we, we are our worst enemy with uh, that yeah. I think it's the difference between being the kind of the efficient versus effective. An efficient person might feel brilliant because I've got a hundred things on my to-do list and I've ticked them off. But actually, have you been effective? Would you have been better mm -hmm. spending that time doing one big thing, one big meaningful thing? But it's that appeal of the busyness, which is why I think mindfulness can be really hard for a lot of people to do because it feels it might feel a bit less productive. Mm. But it pays off in the longer term, mm. whereas a to-do list has that instant gratification. Mm. But mindfulness is, is better for your kind of longer-term mental health. Right. Um, we'll return to some of the points about happier and therefore healthier employers in a moment. But now uh, we've got a guest um, uh, for the podcast. Um, as I say, my colleague Charlotte Rogers wrote a great piece recently about why brands need to prioritise well-being. A contributor to that was Mark Evans, Group Marketing Director at Direct Line. I caught up with him earlier to talk about mental well-being and how that is built into the fabric of Direct Line's performance management policies. Mark, thanks for joining us. Uh, talk to me about Direct Line Group's approach to well-being and its part in performance management. So I, th I think the, the inflection point for us as an organisation was at the point of IPO we created our core values uh, and they've been running pretty hard for about five or six years now uh, uh, and a number of those sort of guide us culturally um, but very specifically bring your whole self to work talks about diversity before the conversation has started frankly uh, and being comfortable in your work environment getting the most out of yourself and, and do the right thing as in we have a in the end I think we have a good heart as an organization so that's guided us to be on the front foot around well-being very, very specifically, when it comes to performance management, it's 50% about the what, what you've actually delivered and achieved, and 50% about the how. Yeah. Uh, so it ensures that things are done in the right way, and that's caught when it isn't. And why is it particularly important um, to treat it in this way? Um, what ultimate impact does it have um, on people, but also uh, the work that they do and the output that they uh, create? So some of it comes from what we were moving away from, the, the culture of RBS that was. Mm. But I think it comes right from the top in terms of recognizing that it's about achieving performance and fulfillment simultaneously. So, so you can love your job, you can really throw yourself into it, and you can keep a balance in your life, but at a high level of performance. And it, it, in a nutshell, sort of what goes around comes around. And if you don't treat people in the way that they want and deserve... Then, then they'll vote with their feet or, mm. or they'll vote with their performance. So I think it's just sort of their enlightened self-interest as much as anything. Yeah. I mean, why do you think people, are, um, I say people, companies in particular, have not made the link before between um, well-being and uh, performance? Um, it's still a relatively burgeoning and, and, and nascent connection, I would say. Um, why have people not made that connection before, would you say? 
Well, I think there are some companies. So I was very fortunate to be at Mars for about nine or ten years. But I would say that it was more wholesome and was talking about culture 100 years ago, way, way before it was fashionable. But I think, I think what's happened is that the, the world has got more pacey, and, and I use the word more wobbly. So even very recently with uh, Grenfell Tower and elections and Brexit and Donald Trump and terrorism, you know, there's been far too many minutes silence in the last couple of months for anybody's liking, of course. I, I think that the pressure on everybody has increased, and so that the likelihood of burnout, the likelihood of a dip in performance as a result of the tumultuous world is, is, is much more so. Uh, and, and to the extent that we just actually earlier this week did an all-team off-site where the theme was about thrive, not survive, and how to maintain your A-game despite increasing demand. So I think it's, a, it's a very much a zeitgeist thing that the world is just a bit more chaotic and demanding of everybody. Thanks for that, Mark. That was great. Um, appreciate your time today. Thanks to Mark for that fascinating insight. Helen, um, have we been guilty, well, when I say we, companies have been guilty in the past of not making a connection between performance and well-being? I think so. I think it's not been on the agenda um, for sort of, it has in the past couple of years, I think it's become more of something that people are talking about, uh, less of a kind of hippie-ish concept and more something that people are appreciating as a real value for their employees. But I think it's also become more important because I think as technology has become more pervasive, think this this busyness mm. actually is a reality of most people's jobs there are a lot of meetings there are a lot of emails that's not going anywhere I was looking at some research which was showing you know email volume is just going to keep increasing so we are not going to get less busy unless we find some ways ourselves to take control of it so I think it it has to be higher on organizations agendas and some more progressive organizations mm. are grasping that now and I think others will follow when they see the benefits that those organizations are having from their employees in terms of their outputs. Mm. So it's it's about companies becoming a little bit more attuned a little bit more um, enlightened yes. uh, uh, about such subjects? Yeah I think um, then it needs to be seen as it's just part of the package of mm. your the kind of the resources that you give to your employees it's oh. helping your employees to uh, be happier at work should be on the agenda of managers and leaders and some of that is thinking about their mental health and oh. this isn't because people have serious mental health concerns which some people might do oh. but actually a manager can help to look after their team's mental health through mindfulness oh. and they need to not be scared about that so they can talk about how they can manage busyness mm. they can talk about team habits that mm. they can have for reflection you know you mm. can reflect as a team and um, so i think it needs to just be seen as how how we work together mm. not a policy mm. not some really scary thing that we all have to do and go on a training course this is about healthy habits at work that we need to embrace and i think more enlightened managers might do that first mm. but we need to really highlight those examples of best practice in organisations so that other people can follow. Mm. I mean, and what's, uh, from a marketing perspective, um, you, you hear the phrase advocates, internal advocates quite a lot. Yeah. Um, so happier employees, you touched upon that earlier. Um, certainly in service-based industries, customer-facing based yeah. industries, what, what are the advantages of, of having a, you know, a, a happy workforce? I mean, I could probably conclude yeah. that myself but yeah. what's your take on it um, so 
Uh, a happier workforce, I think, is so it's a more productive workforce. Mm. It is a more creative workforce because mm. you've got more headspace to generate. It's a more collaborative workforce because there's less stress. People spend more time conversing. Mm. So you generally uh, see results of kind of better ideas, better collaboration, more productive employees. So it's it's happier for the individual, but it's more valuable commercially for mm. for the business to do. So there are some hard. Uh, commercial reasons why an organisation should invest in this. Mm. In terms of internal advocates, I think it's really important because it can still, it can still seem a bit like a hippieish concept to some people. Um, and I think if you've got an internal advocate, somebody that someone sits next to, it becomes more of a real concept, and they mm. can say. Oh, okay. So that's what you do. Oh, you just ask yourself three questions in the evening, and that helps you to reflect. Oh, I get it. I get it. I don't need a coach. Mm. I don't need to sit down and say um for half an hour. I this is something that I can do to help myself focus and get a bit more space to think. So I think the more normal <laughs> inverted commas internal advocates mm. that we can get, the more a practice of mindfulness is normalised in a business, and it just becomes about how we work how we stop busyness overwhelming us and i think that when you get to that it's just about how we work how we think about healthy minds at work it it's when it's really valuable for the organization they're not forcing it it's kind of coming from within mm. amen to that um i i think what you were saying about um a kind of hippie perception of it um has hopefully been dispelled today on this podcast but um, I've certainly learned a lot. Um, I, I think my key takeaway from what you were talking about is to switch off the email and yeah. focus on something at least for a couple of hours a day. Um, and that can in itself um, both, well, get stuff done, but also ensure that you are focused and, dare I say it, mindful on the task at hand. Exactly. Um, thank you for that and uh, thank you as always, Helen. That was great. And thank you for Mark's uh, contribution earlier. Um, we do lots of content around uh, personal and professional development and you can find much more of that on marksandweek.com but in the meantime thanks to everybody who took the time to listen and we'll see you and uh, you'll hear from us next time thanks